0: Hello, Slate listeners. We have an important message for you. By now, you probably know about Slate's membership program, Slate Plus. It's a subscription that gives you ad-free versions of every Slate podcast. You can get this show and others like Dear Prudence and the Political Gabfest, Fest, all without any ad breaks. But if you're a reader of Slate as well as a listener, you might have noticed that Slate.com recently installed a paywall. So we wanted you to know that Slate Plus membership will also give you access to everything on our website. From our recent coverage of the coronavirus to Who Counts, our ongoing investigation into whose voices will be left out of the 2020 election, we're committed to keeping you informed about everything this year has in store. And your support is extremely important to helping us continue this important work. You can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash momanddadplus. And if you're already a member, just log in at slate.com slash login.
1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's Parenting Podcast, for Thursday, April 9th, the Let's Go to the Zoo During Coronavirus edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting Advice column, and mom to Naima, who is seven. Oh my God, I can't believe I have a seven-year-old. And we live in Los Angeles, California.
2: I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm a mom to three boys, Henry, who's eight today, Oliver, who's five, Teddy, who's three. And I'm coming to you from the craft room slash Lego room slash mask making sweatshop in Navarre, Florida.
1: I'm Ramon Alam. I'm a writer and father of two boys, Simon, who is 10, and Xavier, who is 7, and both of whom are furious that they are not invited to be guests on the podcast this week, as I am privileged to be. And we are podcasting from our homes, and so I'm able to peer into Elizabeth's home, and I have never been more jealous of a craft room.
0: (laughs) Okay, wait, your kids are welcome on the podcast
1: oh listen jamila don't get it started you'll never get them off (laughs)
0: that's okay we hey we're gonna be calling because we're uh... definitely gonna be calling you have no idea your kids are gonna get sick of
2: us (sighs) your kids and i think
0: dan's dad right (laughs) yes oh my god dan's dad has found the facebook group and nothing was the same i'm so excited i'm so excited Today on the show, we have a question about kids splitting time between parents while everyone's supposed to be staying at home, which is why you hear relative silence in the background of my house today. The letter writer's partner hasn't seen his daughter since March 7th because his ex-wife worried that it's not safe enough. Tricky times here, people. We also have a new segment for both parents and kids. We're also going to be talking to a zookeeper to find out what's going on with animals right now. Parents, if you are listening with kids and want to zip ahead to the family-friendly segment and save all this adult goodness for later when they're not around, we'll put the timestamp in the show notes. And as always, we'll have triumphs and fails and recommendations. Let's start with you, Elizabeth. Do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week?
2: I have a triumph.
0: Surprise, surprise. (laughs)
2: Surprise. (laughs) So I have kept (laughs) my oldest child alive for eight years and we are celebrating his birthday
1: birthday today.
0: Happy birthday.
2: The triumph though, although keeping him alive because when you have three boys, that is like an actual thing that I worry about is them all surviving. But the triumph is being able to provide like the birthday experience because since we love to travel and get out, we almost always do like an experience for their birthday. And we ask their grandparents to kind of pitch in and, With that, we're usually able to like go do something fun and the kids think about what they want to spend their day doing. And Henry, who just loves marine mammals, wanted to take advantage of us being in Florida right now and go out on a dolphin cruise. And we had arranged for that. And then the little gulfarium here has like an opportunity to go like meet a dolphin. And so that was kind of the plan. And his grandparents were going to be down here Mm. and we were going to go do that as a family. And so obviously all of that came crashing down. And I was just trying to think like, how do I not that every expectation needs to be met. And certainly, like us all dealing with the fact that these things aren't going to happen is part of this. And I think part of learning to deal with life. But you know, Mm. you still want your kid's day to be special. So we came up with a couple of like really fun things. So this morning, he woke up and we had run a string from his room door, like all through the house inside, outside all around and on the string, like as it went through things, there was like, A birthday card from someone or a drawing for one of his brothers or one of his gifts. So this morning, he got up really early. And we were all up and we watched him follow the string all around the house finding things. Um, And his brothers were running along, you know, with him, which was super fun and kind of just elongated that process. And because of our schedule today, we let him open all the gifts in the morning. We had his cake for breakfast. (laughs) Just like total. Yeah, total like do whatever. Because Jeff has some work that's going on that is pressing and we're recording today. So typically, you know, we'd wait till Jeff got home from work and do a big thing in the evening. And then the other thing he had asked is that part of doing something is getting to like do something fun. So he came up with the idea that we would chalk our whole street on the sidewalk with games and stuff that kids could do. And then I would post to the neighborhood Facebook page that this was there. So this morning after we did the gifts, we went out and we drew little games and he like wrote the floor is lava and we drew rocks for Mm -hmm. kids to hop on and letters and numbers and hopscotch and little chalk drawings you can take your picture with. Mm -hmm. And right in front of our house, we said like, Turn and yell, happy birthday. You know, I post on the Facebook page, all day we've had people, like, we can just hear from the front of the house yelling, happy birthday. So just a fun way, and the love we're getting on our, you know, our neighborhood has 100 homes in it. It's not like it's huge, but lots of family. So people are saying, thanks so much for sharing. Like, what a fun thing to come down your road and get to do this. And Henry gets to kind of hear these kids yell out happy birthday to him. So I'm feeling good that, you know, he picked something that everyone could enjoy but also that we made his day kind
1: of special. God, that's so creative.
2: A tremendous win.
1: I mean, Jamila knows because Jamila and I both are the care and feeding columnists at Slate. Mm -hmm. She knows that we've seen so many questions from parents about how you make an occasion feel special right now when, you know, kids can't get to go see their best friend or their aunts and uncles or other special people in their lives. And that is such a really a clever workaround that you came up with there.
2: It's so hard. And like I said, I think disappointment is unfortunately part of this situation we're in. But I do feel like he'll walk away thinking like this was a special day to remember like this is what we did on our birthday. And yes, it wasn't what I had planned. But it was sure. something fun. That's my hope. Anyway,
1: <laughs> he's only eight. Like, you know, if yeah, he was yeah. 17, <laughs> I would say like, you know, it's time to suck it up. But he's eight years old. You should be allowed to have a fun silly day on your special birthday you know so well done yeah. that's a it, good yeah. yeah. time yes it feels like a yeah. real triumph
0: yeah <laughs> that is a real triumph i think that that is exactly what we should be doing right now it i'm so happy that naima was able to still feel special on her birthday and the sweet thing about turning six or seven or eight is like when someone says happy birthday it just makes you smile yeah
3: it's yeah, just like, yeah
0: it's know? the whole thing. Yeah. It's yeah. the whole thing. It's not about the presence or the party. It's the acknowledgement, you know, that your birth is worthy of celebration. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, what about you, Roman?
1: I think that we all need to grade ourselves on a curve right now. So I'm going to give myself a triumph. There have been plenty of fails, plenty of fails. Tempers are short, you know, the kids they can't comprehend a lot on their best days, and these are not our best days necessarily. But the other day, and I forget, I wish I could remember what especially sparked this, but you guys as parents know that With your kids, you overperform manners. You say, like, please and thank you, and you really sort of overdo it so that it sinks into them. And eventually it sort of has some weird effect on your own manners. And so I found myself, since we have been isolating at home, overcorrecting to remind them of how lucky we are. Like, oh, well, we have a backyard, and we have all this space, and we have plenty of money so we can buy plenty of food, and we never have to worry about, like... You know, my job can be done from the home. Like, we're we're so lucky. And just sort of drilling that into them. And the other day, my older son said it sort of apropos of nothing. He was, like, listing the things that he he was frustrated and I miss school and I miss this. And he's like, but, you know, we're so lucky because, like, at least we have each other and we're here in our nice house. And I was like, yes, yes. Exactly. And I felt so satisfied because I also have come to believe that. Like I am frustrated just as everyone else is. And I would love to go to a bar and have a drink and be by myself or like go to the gym or just do any, any of the things that you take for granted in your adult life. But it's nice to be reminded that like this thing that is kind of just a parental reflex actually does reflect how it's worthy of thinking about this moment. And that it's actually getting through to my kids in the same way that instructing them about manners when it gets through to them. When when my kids are polite to someone else's grandmother or, like, an older person, I feel so satisfied. It's like, yeah, they've learned that. I valued that, and I managed to get that lesson to connect in their brains. And so I feel like this perspective is more optimistic and more generous than I am naturally inclined to be, but it's also true. Like, if you have your health in this moment, then you don't have a lot to complain about.
2: I love that you're giving them the framework through which to see this and that internal voice, and then you're getting to like, see it come back out. I tend to be a very optimistic person. And I think that if you can see the world that way, there's a real advantage.
0: <laughs> hi. <laughs> oh, a little person. We have our first little person. Hi, Teddy. So. Oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> oh this is great. Say hi, wait. This is just like the BBC interview. Hi. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. He is so cute. <laughs> Aw, this is great. This is what we do it for. I have to say, I've been working on becoming a more optimistic, positive person for quite some time. So it's not like a total readjustment, but it's definitely there's a certain amount of pessimism that I, you know, allowed myself to have. I think part of it was leaving New York, you know, like it's just everything is it's me against the world. You know, I'm gritty and I'm tough. I can get through it, but there's still an element of pessimism to that. This period has definitely challenged me to, you know, the, the dangers of being completely cynical and pessimistic right now are being trapped within your worst nightmare while living one of your worst yeah. nightmares. That it, it's all gloom and doom. So I mean, there's plenty I, to be pessimistic
1: yeah. about, right? Like
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: You don't have to look very far. And like you said, Jimmy, I think it's just like conscious, like if your personality is inclined that way, it becomes this conscious thing of being like, okay, let's like keep that in check because what's the point? Or, you know, why not? You know,
0: we're at the point where the best outcome, right? Like if let's just say, yeah, Yeah. magically was erased tomorrow, and everything's fine. And we went back to our regular lives in a matter of days, and no one else gets sick, and no one else dies. The toll is so great. At this point, you know, in terms of lives lost in terms of disruption to, you know, livelihood, you know, just kind of what this is highlighted. So it's awful, but like, to decide in this moment to still operate, with a sunnier disposition and to just try and, you know, focus on what is good and, you know, knowing that the worst may very well be yet to come, but there's no reason for us to live inside of the worst before it does.
2: There's so little that we have control of in this that I think having control of how you're going to view the little things that you have, Yeah, is important all these bad things are happening and I'm very much aware of that and I feel like it sits with me deeply but I do try to live in the place and tell the kids all the time just like you're saying you know we're so lucky and we should be so thankful for these things because if our eyes are on that then it's like you have the energy to fight the other stuff that you can yeah
0: I'm deeply grateful for what I have and deeply resentful that, that others do not. And it's okay to feel guilty that this isn't everybody's reality, you know, and sensitive to the fact that other people have to leave the house to work every single day and oftentimes on public transportation, yeah. you know, yeah. being grateful for your privilege doesn't mean co-signing that we should have it and others shouldn't.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a great Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah, it's weirdly helpful. But I was surprised that that message got through. And I was surprised that I found that it got through even to me. You know, I think there's so many times Mm. that you say things as a parent that you're saying to your kids that you don't necessarily believe or adhere to yourself. You know, like, (laughs) you know, like, I tell them to say please to my husband. I don't always say please to my husband. Like, I don't always model that, you know. And so it's nice to be reminded that, like, sometimes the lessons work on me, too. In the spirit of optimism, Jamila, do you have a triumph this week?
0: I do have a pretty sweet triumph that I could just layer right into this wonderful cake that we're baking right now. But I just feel that it would be better if I dipped into the archives a little bit (laughs) because I have one that I've been sitting on and I was hesitant to use it. And I'm just going to say. This either establishes me permanently as the Bobby Brown to <laughs> the new addition that is Mom and Dad are Fighting. A couple weeks ago, Naeem and I are playing Heads Up, which is, of course, a game where you put the phone or the tablet, you know, on your head and there's a word there. And the other players or player has to make, you know, the person who's holding the phrase, you know, set unseen guess what it is, right? It's, it's kind of like charade. And so... The word was marinara sauce. And so I'm like, it's a red sauce. You dip cheese sticks in it. It goes on spaghetti. And she says, margarita. (laughs) And so Naima has no concept of time in this game for some reason. She gets frustrated if she doesn't get a bunch of clues or if I don't guess enough for them. But like she'll stop. And be like, oh, right. She has like a side. So she's like, right. Margarita is the thing that I got confused with quesadilla when I was in preschool, which is true. Like one day I picked her up from preschool (laughs) and I said, you know, what do you want for dinner? And she was like, margaritas. And I was like, what? You know, and she's like, margaritas. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, we just had some the other night. And I was like, huh? She was like, it's the cheese and the shell. And I was like, you're talking about quesadillas. It's like, okay, fine. She brings this up while we're playing this timed game. I was like, okay, Naima, come on, keep guessing. And so I was like, red sauce. And I said, but it starts with an M. So she says, marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> i just i just put my head down you know i just needed a minute after all of that
1: <laughs> i think this is more triumph than fail it shows what a sophisticated child you're raising <laughs> she has a level of sophistication and a facility with language <laughs> she's just seven years old she's got a command of all of this language <laughs> i think it's to be applauded i think you should own that
0: <laughs> i'm gonna try you know and i was telling my older sister and i was like you know it kind of surprised me. I said, we've had conversations, you know, marijuana has come up. We've had conversations about it. You know, it's something I want her to be aware of and be, you know, completely terrified of. So, I told her that it's, I told her, (laughs) I told her that it's lethal to children. (laughs) So, like, if she tastes it, like, it's over. It's just like, you don't come back from that. I drink very little around her. Like, you know, even when we go out to restaurants, it's rare that I order, you know, like, once in a while, but I typically just don't, you know, maybe a glass of wine, maybe. But usually. I just don't drink with dinner with her so she doesn't see me drinking very often you know and so my sister was like don't you try to get on a high horse for one minute because that's because you're high that's why you're not drinking (laughs) (laughs) and so then I was like wow so my daughter has a vocabulary from the streets And my sister thinks of me as a piehead, So here we are, my family.
1: Kids just, they love to rat you out. They love to like, you know, it's just my younger son for Father's Day made us like Father's Day cards in class. And mine was like, dear daddy, you're like the greatest dad in the world. I love you so much. And the one he made for my husband was, dear papa, please don't drink so much beer. Which is like... (laughs) hilarious (laughs) because my husband doesn't even drink really and I was like I feel like that's just what kids do they love to pick up on your biggest fears
2: it's so relatable because my children also like have really grabbed on to my drinking of wine like all the time I'm like homeschooling and I'll say will you bring me a glass of water or something whoever's up and they'll say Uh, Do you think maybe a coffee or wine might be better? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yikes! Uh, So I don't, I don't know how children like (laughs) grab on. I'm like, I'll I'll just take the water, thanks. but it's always at like the inopportune times right like when you're
1: near a religious Um, leader or like you know yes or like (laughs) you have someone over
2: right and then they're like often my three-year-old is like i'll pour everyone wine (laughs) oh geez (laughs) like it's a breakfast (laughs) meeting like this is (sighs) anyway Mm.
0: so incredibly relatable (laughs) yes they seize upon the naughty element they're like i know Mm-hmm. Yeah. something I can't have I don't know what this is I don't know what it is I don't know why it's bad but I know that there's something bad about it so I'm going to bring it up
1: now all I want is a margarita to be honest yeah exactly that sounds great to me <laughs> i would kill for a margarita
0: (laughs) you think you have a fully stocked bar until you're trapped in the house with no other options and you're like some things you just can't
1: replicate at home you know that's
0: right if
2: you have to make
0: it
1: the joy is gone it's just not the same (laughs) that's
0: true that's true okay well before we move on because this will easily become mom and dad want a margarita which is basically what it is now. Let's do some business. Slate's Parenting Newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our great parenting content, including Mom and Dad are Fighting and Care and Feeding, the advice column where people entrust Ramon to dispense very sound, very reasonable advice, and they allow me to rant about race and gender and admonish people a little bit. And much, much more. It's also a personal email from Dan. Again, so personal that I once thought he'd sent the email directly to me and I responded to it. And you get that every single week. So please sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. And by the way, Dan does not get the responses. So do not reply. It's not a real email address. Also, check us out on Facebook by searching for Slate Parenting. It's a fun, active community. Dan's father has found the Facebook group. It was the sweetest thing. Dan's father, like, thanked his fans for supporting him. It was the best part of my day when I read that. So find us on Facebook. And in Slate Plus today, we're going to be answering an additional question this week from a parent whose little one isn't warming up to their new baby sibling. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. I you love know? the framing of a promotion. I wish that I had yeah. come up with that.
2: <laughs> Letter writer, it is not too late for that.
0: Hold a promotion ceremony. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free versions of your favorite Slate podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program. And it's a great way to support the work that we're doing. For just $35 in your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows, plus a ton of other cool benefits. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, which we'd really appreciate, go to slate.com backslash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, and now we're going to get into this week's listener question, and it's being read, as always, by the wonderful Shasha Leonard.
4: Hi, Mom and Dad. My partner and his ex-wife separated before their daughter's birth and have co-parented amicably for the past 10 years. I've always been impressed by the good faith they treat schedules with, compared to other divorced couples that I know. Enter coronavirus. Coronavirus. My partner and I quit going to work March 11th, nearly two weeks before my governor shut down non-essential businesses and childcare. His sister is an ER doctor and I work with germs and exponential curves for my day job. So once we saw that this thing was not contained, we decided the best thing we could do in our extremely privileged situation was stay home as much and as soon as possible. We are quite cautious. We don't go out except to walk or jog, so have not been within six feet of anyone except each other and our toddler in weeks, thanks to grocery and diaper delivery. Through a series of excuses and evasions, my partner's ex-wife has kept her daughter since she left our house on March 7th. His ex-wife has gone so far as to agree to bring her daughter over and then text that she doesn't think it's worth the risk, and then not show up. My partner's only FaceTimed with his daughter twice— He worries that his ex is ignoring his attempts to virtually contact his daughter out of a desire to avoid questions about dad and when she might see him next. He isn't sure how to proceed without escalating things, and jeopardizing what he feels has been a good co-parenting relationship. Given what I've seen of their texts, I doubt there's anything we could say or do to convince her it's safe enough, because it's more about a desire to hang on tight. It seems more like the unhealthy way she depends on her daughter emotionally has just been put into starker relief. He also believes that she fears she will get caught separated from her child in a situation where, for example, one of our houses needs to quarantine. He's explained to her how careful we're being. He's proposed possible ways to modify their existing agreement, like consolidating her time at our house so there are fewer trips back and forth, something I'm in favor of as risk mitigation because, frankly, I know that they are exposing themselves to more of a risk than we are. So far, nothing's resulted in any actual movement by his ex-wife. How should he proceed? Is it worth escalating things, for example, by contacting his lawyer? Our state recently published guidelines telling parents to continue to follow custody and visitation schedules unless someone is under medically ordered quarantine. Is there some better way to make it clear that this isn't in the best interest of their child without involving a lawyer? Is there some softer way to magically get her to see the light and preserve a positive dynamic that we're not thinking of? I worry about the emotional impact on a child of not knowing for nearly a month when she will see her dad again, while so many other parts of her world have come unmoored. Thanks for your help. Bunker down in Boston.
0: So obviously, this is a situation that it touches me in my heart for some very clear reasons, but I'm curious to hear how you feel when you hear something like this from the outside. Let's start with you, Ramon.
1: Gosh, that's a tough letter, and I feel for... The families involved, because one of the worst aspects of this whole scenario has been that the lack of clear guidance. I think that so many of us just want to do what is right, and we just want to be told what that is. And even if the state's guidance is that parents should adhere to existing custody agreements, I can't really blame any of the parents involved in a situation like that for worrying that that is not enough. And The woman who wrote the letter is saying that she honors and respects their co-parenting relationship. But then she's also kind of saying things about her husband's ex-wife that aren't super generous and aren't really like she sort of accuses this woman of being too emotionally reliant on her child and wanting to maybe exploit this temporary situation to make some other point, or that she fears that her daughter would be separated from her forcefully if they would have to go into quarantine. And to all of that, I say, yeah, that seems very reasonable to me. Like, I think that any parent would worry a sudden quarantine arrangement would disrupt their child sharing arrangement and that they would miss their child and that after the trauma of separating, you maybe are more reliant on your child than you would have been if you were still together. And as parents, you are reliant emotionally on your children. I mean, I like, I sometimes look at pictures of my kids when they're at school you know, because I miss them. And I think that that's fair. And I think that maybe the woman who wrote this letter should try to be like a little more human and understanding of where this other parent is coming from. That said, I think that they have like a very difficult situation that they have to negotiate. And if safety is at stake, I think you have to make a difficult choice for you emotionally in order to preserve everybody's health. And the difficult choice may just have to be having a relationship with this child that is more virtual than actual, at least for the moment.
2: I very much agree with your kind of assessment of the situation. And I think to grossly oversimplify a possible solution would be that they need to get on the phone with each other. It seemed like a lot of this was being done by text and many of the things that you just went into about like, what is their actual need Where is the safety line for the child? Why is FaceTiming a problem? All of that can really be solved by getting on the phone and having a conversation and finding out where people are. I mean, maybe they are doing this also, and it's just a difficult situation, but the letter only references all these texts say the hard things and hear the answers back. It's not at all the same, but I know like when my husband and I text, like things all the time go awry, like just because you're reading yeah. in to things. And whereas like you can hear and say like, oh, this is really panic. It's not that they're trying to get out of something or on, on the other side, maybe she really is trying to take advantage of this, but it just seems like we don't have all the facts because the parties aren't really communicating. But like I said, I think that's probably a gross oversimplification. But Jamila, I feel that you probably have the best (laughs) advice
0: (laughs) to offer on this. I certainly have a lot of feelings. You know, I'll say as someone who's also been co-parenting with someone that I broke up with before our child was born, I know that it is a very delicate dance. We've done this, you know, amicably, Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, you know, for the past, I'll say after a couple of arguments in year one. Right. And I'm giving that as context, not just to say, hey, I've been doing this for a long time, but to say that, like, despite not having had any actual we had maybe three arguments in year one and one terse disagreement in her first year in daycare. And aside from that, it's been easy breezy, no beef, no, you know, passive aggression, really. Everything's been good. And yet I still sometimes write scripts in my head for my co-parents and his wife. And I feel that you are writing a script in your head for this woman. You are doing that. Now the script could be accurate. You could be completely wrong. There are some shades of what you're talking about that are not quite unreasonable. So if this person, say, lives alone, her emotional attachment to having her child with her is quite different than someone who has a partner and another child. And that's not to say that her relationship to her daughter means more than your husband's relationship to his daughter or her brother's relationship or her sibling's relationship to her, but that there is something very different about being a single parent of an only child. You know, like that bond, is quite different, for better or worse. And furthermore, to have to go through a situation like this completely alone is, you know, for many people quite devastating, you know. And again, this isn't something I've had personal experience with, but I've written that script for myself in my head. You know, will they think that I'm doing this? Will they think I'm trying to hold on to her? Will they think I'm being unreasonable? Or, you know... In
2: both directions. Like, when you read this, it's like the mom can't win. She's either like overly attached, or we could see a very similar letter that basically said she's not concerned right. enough with, right. you know, her safety. Right, <laughs> like, absolutely. Okay. Like and we're all just trying to do the best that we can. Right.
1: And And, and again, trying- like no one's told us. And so the idea of calling in a lawyer who is like not an immunologist, but is there to like litigate these disagreements just seems like so it's like, what is a lawyer going to be able to do to really help anyone feel better in this situation? At
2: at this point, I would say it's mostly scare someone, right? Because I mean, the courts are largely closed. So any hope of like a resolution outside of a lawyer scaring you into doing something I did get to a point where I thought, okay, they have this phone conversation, and maybe the mom is like, well, I'm just not doing anything and you can't get anywhere. Maybe now we're at a point where you have to start talking about, you know, do I have to get a lawyer involved? Or can we come to some other understanding?
0: Right. It doesn't seem like at this point we're there. It seems like they've exchanged some text messages. (laughs) If somebody's not quarantining exactly the same way that you are you know, or that they're not processing this moment exactly like you are does not mean that what they're doing is incorrect. And don't get me wrong. If somebody's doing things that are unsafe, you know, like, oh, I've been going on picnics. Or, I've been going to visit friends. Like, yeah, you can be critical of them and you can encourage them to make better choices. But I think that for you feel that it's safe for her to go back and forth. Right. The mother doesn't feel yeah. that way. It's okay for somebody to have an abundance of caution in this yeah. moment. You know, she said that the local government has said that custody orders are unchanged and you should, you know, insofar as you can do so safely, your child should maintain the same schedule that they've been on. But we've gotten, you know, Ramon made a good point. Like, we're lacking for guidance here. Like, there's no agreement on what people should be doing. There's no voice of, you know, national caution and and reason that we can really trust in any meaningful way. But we've also gotten a lot of bad guidance. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes, we have.
2: The situation is constantly changing. And I think trying to make a plan today for what tomorrow is, is difficult. So I totally agree with you, though, that I think overall, everyone should be just giving everybody else a little more grace. Jamila, I was also interested, like, because I think people hear this, and there are a lot of people out there that are in similar situations, but not exactly this. Have you had conversations with Naima's dad about Like how things might change or altering that, or you guys are just kind of constantly checking in, given that she's still going back and forth between you
0: guys. We're constantly checking in. I know that that conversation is soon to come. Like I've been Mm -hmm. kind of preparing for it in the last few days. Uh, What we've been doing is two days here, two days there. Which is a bit of a departure from our usual schedule, which is usually a lot more fluid and kind of based on, you know, does somebody have an event or something to go to on Thursday night where, you know, usually she was with me, but this week she'll be with him on Thursday, you know. I do think that we may end up adjusting to longer stretches of time. I've also completely eliminated going to the grocery stores. I haven't been anywhere in two weeks, except for when I went to their house on Naima's birthday. And and leading up to that, I was when I was like, okay, I'm going to their house. I can't go out the house again. And after that, I was just like, you know what? I'm done going to the grocery store. You know what I mean? Like, that's just a risk that I need to take when there are other people that are exposed to me via my child. And I ask her dad constantly. I'm like, you all, you know, because sometimes his wife or the other, you know, little one will be in the car. And I'm like, y'all aren't going anywhere, are you? You know, like I'm constantly, <laughs> you know, we're covering our heads and covering our mouths and our hands when we go out. Like We're taking it super seriously in order for her to have that back and forth time. I certainly can foresee circumstances in which I'm like, I would like to just keep nightmare here. For the foreseeable future and I would feel completely justified in doing that and I would hope that if there was a situation in which my ex and his wife felt that being with me represented a safety risk and I would want them to say that and I do think that the mother is operating from a place of primarily this is about her thinking it's the safest option it technically is the safest option for her to stay still and You know, I I think you need to extend some grace to her. What you do need to talk about, however, is letting her father speak to her via FaceTime. Like that is unfair. And I do understand that maybe she's thinking that the little one will be less freaked out about not seeing daddy if she doesn't have constant reminders of daddy. But that's ridiculous. And she will, you know, eventually, if she's not complaining or asking questions already, that will settle in in her mind. She'll be watching, you know, a TV show or reading a book and see a kid interacting with their father. And it'll be like, wait a minute, what has been, you know, like now I'm finally ready to say this.
2: I think just like the united front that the mom and dad, if they talked, like could say to this child, like, it doesn't sound like this dad. I mean, again, all we have is this letter, right? But that the dad is unwilling to say like, hey, we've made a decision for your safety that you can't come here. But what we're going to do is I'm going to be available this way. And I think that message, like coming from both parties, like, The mom here can also be sympathetic to that and say, it must be really frustrating that you don't get to go see your dad. And that is hard, but we're doing this for your safety. Here are ways that I can make sure you guys stay in, you know, he still loves you. He's still there for you. I think all of this is there. It just seems to me, like you said, that, everyone is kind of up in arms about everything. I mean, all we have is the letter writer, right? Um, And then maybe maybe the text, but also that like, there's just not a lot of communication.
0: Please don't call a lawyer. You don't bounce back from that one, my friend. All right. Thank you so much for reaching out. We'd love an update on this one, truly. And if you have a conundrum for us, send it to dad at slate.com and you just might hear us debating about your life on the show.
3: This episode is brought to you by
0: Progressive Insurance. everyone is fighting now isn't that a great name i came up with it (laughs) because we're literally all fighting now like it's dynasty in my house does anyone else like hear their arguments with their children and it's like this is not an adult and a child these are peers like everyone's being petty the little one's making very excellent points
1: Same, same. Same. Quarantine, it's brought out their animal instinct for survival by any means necessary.
0: Well, it's perfect that it's bringing out their animal instinct because today we're going to find out how the animals are doing at the zoo right now without all of their little friends coming to visit. And who better to ask than a zookeeper? So Elizabeth happens to have a zookeeper friend who works at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado which is amazing because I feel like I have a zookeeper friend now
2: too. Once you meet Megan, you're a friend for life. That's one of the wonderful things about Megan. So she was like one of my first mom friends in Colorado Springs. We did a stroller fitness class together with our children who both have April birthdays. They are dear friends and Megan and I are dear friends. And that was even before I knew she was a zookeeper because everybody needs a zookeeper friend. After this interview, you'll see why. But she's been involved in zoo work for over 18 years and many of those as a zookeeper. So she works at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo now and is a consultant for other zoos. She also teaches zookeeping technology at the Pikes Peaks Community College. But her passion really is teaching kids of all ages about caring and learning for animals and about conservation. And so I'm so excited to have her share that with us. And she's going to share with us about what's going on. And I think we'll all learn something and also find out kind of how the animals are doing. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to
0: hear you (laughs) see Aww, we're very glad to have you Megan so we put a call out on the Facebook group to get questions from kids and our readers and listeners delivered some very great inquisitive inquiries from their little people so we're going to start with a question from Jonah I'm Jonah I'm six years old I live in Virginia my question is how are the animals doing at the zoo Um. Do they miss the people? (laughs) It's a good
5: question. The animals are doing really well. So the good news is, is that zookeepers are still doing the same stuff that they always do, um, in terms of providing really good care for the animals that they are looking after. The one weird difference is, is that now there are no people around. So. The animals are doing great. Um and do they miss people? And it's kind of a hard question to answer. So I I have to put on my behavior hat for a minute. We usually talk about when we talk about animals, we refer to external states that we can measure and see. And so, you know, I can't necessarily ask a hippo, "Do you miss seeing people?" But we can kind of look at their behavior and we do know that they're still eating well, they're still acting normally, they're still playing with all of their toys and enrichment items. So it is probably a difference for them. I'm sure they notice that there are not people around anymore. I talked to a friend of mine the other day at a zoo that I work with out in California called the Living Desert. And after this whole quarantine started, they actually had a litter of African wild dog puppies born. And so, you know, the rest of that pack is really used to having a lot of people around and seeing people come and go in front of their exhibit. And we were having a discussion about it's going to be really interesting when they open back up, that these puppies have never seen large crowds of people. I don't know if they're necessarily missing them now, but it's certainly going to be something that the keepers are keeping an eye on in terms of how does their behavior change between, you know, now and when we open back up. And that will be one of those, those kind of interesting things to watch that what do those puppies think, because it's not going to be something that they are seeing on a daily basis, like the other members of their pack.
2: So the animals are still seeing, for the most part, their regular keeper, like the one that they are seeing, and I assume are still getting like that checks, like, so kind of like us, like, some kind of life is normal. Yeah, normal people that they see every day. So the people
5: that (laughs) deliver cookies morning, noon, and night, they're still there. So that part of their routine hasn't changed. You know, they still are having the training sessions. They're still getting enrichment. And also the vet staff is still on grounds and still working. So um, their veterinary care is still still a part of their day. The one part that's maybe not there. So Shine Mountain, for example, they have a really robust giraffe feeding program. I'm sure some of their giraffe are (laughs) feeling a little sad that maybe their snack (laughs) client has dried up a little bit um, <laughs> but maybe that's making them train better I don't know <laughs> I liked this question Hi my name
4: is Abigail I'm four years old I live in New Jersey my question is how do a zookeeper feed one animal and sh- and they have to rush if they have to take care of another animal that's it <laughs> I think
5: zookeepers rush all the time anyway. They're not necessarily rushing. So the, the good thing is, at least at Shine Mountain, they still have their full animal staff intact. So all of the normal keepers that would be there on a day-to-day basis are still there. So they're still all kind of shouldering that workload together and sharing the responsibility of, of getting everyone fed and taken care of. The one difference that they do have that I think is a little strange for keepers is that they don't have public demonstrations that they're necessarily doing throughout the day, which is really a huge part of the job. It's one of, you know, the most important things that we can do is actually talk to and educate kids. And it's one of the things that we actually really enjoy is being able to have people connect to these animals that we love so much and see the things about them that we we think are so cool and unique. Um, and those obviously aren't happening right now. There is no one there to go out and listen to you talk about your animal for 15 or 20 minutes. The cool thing is that I think you guys are seeing on social media is that they are finding different outlets for those types of things. You know, so looking at all of these online safaris that are taking place or these behind the scenes types of activities that the keepers are being able to do, that's kind of a cool way that they're still being able to reach out and connect people with the animals that they love so much and being able to still share what makes them so unique and amazing and and worth looking after. I think you guys have probably seen too that animals are getting opportunities that they may not normally have when we do have people in the zoos, which is pretty cool to see. Um, again, I was talking to my friend at the Living Desert the other day, and I know that they just took one of their porcupines out on a wagon ride. So he got to go on a tour around the entire zoo and see <laughs> all of these things that he normally wouldn't get to see. Um, and also all these other animals are getting to see a porcupine, which they probably wouldn't normally get well, to see.
1: That is an amazing idea for a children's book. Somebody should read <laughs> (laughs) really write that children's (laughs) book the day the porcupine got to go on the wagon ride around the zoo that is such a great idea (laughs) idea.
5: radio flyer porcupine Yeah.
1: yeah yeah
5: Yeah, porcupine pine out for a cruise. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's kind of weird. And it's, you know, a little unsettling to not have all the people around. But at the same time, I think they're, they're really making the best of it in terms of being able to maybe do these things that aren't quite as easy to do when we have big crowds of people that are, are visiting and around with us. So one small little, you know, silver lining to having life not be quite what we usually have it, or expect it to be looking like day to day.
2: If you could have an animal like at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo go exploring, who would you let go around
5: the wow.
1: zoo? Is that oh like choosing gosh. your favorite child? That's a tough question. <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah, exactly. Who would you... <laughs> I love them all the same. And... Yeah. Yeah. If any of them are listening. Yeah. <laughs> I love you all and I want You're you all to best have friends. the same... <laughs> the same opportunities. Um, who would I pick? I don't know. Maybe the otters, just because they're so stinking inquisitive. And I think it would be a riot. I mean, we would never get them back, but...
2: They would have run while they were out.
0: (laughs) They're so cute. Oh, my gosh. George has a tough question for you.
1: Okay. Hi, my name is George. I am 10 years old. And my question is do the zookeepers still get paid
5: to feed the animals? That is a good question. That's a very kind and empathetic question to ask. You know, that's one of those things that really is going to vary from institution to institution. So I think I mentioned earlier, right now at Cheyenne Mountain, they still have their entire staff intact. At this point, is how they're moving forward. I know that there are other zoos that have had to make some really hard decisions. So Living Desert, who I've mentioned a few times, is one of those zoos. They unfortunately did Have to lay off two thirds of their staff. So, those two zoos in specific are nonprofit organizations. So, they really do rely on people coming through the gates and supporting them through memberships and animal adoptions and things like that in order to be able to run their facilities. For zoos that maybe don't have as much of a a cushion or a pillow to absorb some of this, there is a significant loss of revenue that's happened over the last several weeks. And that is really hard stuff to kind of navigate and manage and figure out. The good things is that they are keeping a functional staff. So for somewhere like the living desert, they do still have um, their veterinary and their animal care staff on grounds. So they still have people there that are providing for the welfare of those animals and making sure that they have all of their needs met on a daily basis, as well as having a little fun on the side, as our little porcupine then showed us. (laughs) But that is an unfortunate kind of sad (laughs) offset to this, is that there are some places that have had to make some really difficult decisions in terms of how do you navigate this time where you don't have those lines of revenue coming in That they so, so very dearly depend on.
2: Are there ways that? If someone is able for them to be able to help their local zoo?
5: Yeah, you know, so I think even just kind of connecting and looking for those distance ways. So, you know, memberships still are something that's a direct line of revenue for those zoos. And, you know, we can't necessarily go right now, but that membership is still going to be supporting day to day programming or day to day care that those animals are receiving and other programs that zoos may have available to them on their website. So things like an adopt an animal program or, you know, um, kind of those symbolic type adoption things are again, those revenue streams that are going to go directly into supporting the zoo and the work that they're still doing, even when we can't have people come through the gates. I know that a lot of zoos are looking for kind of creative ways too, to generate maybe funds. So looking for maybe an online interview, the keeper type of program where you can pay, you know, a small nominal fee and then have an opportunity to maybe do a science project now that we're all homeschooling and have your, your kiddo be able to actually talk to his zookeeper or learn a little bit about an animal that they really enjoy or or, or interested in. You know, so those are all kind of those small ways of looking for your local accredited zoo and being able to look for ways that you can support them financially. You know, I will say that I think it is still really meaningful too that people are reaching out on some of these social media platforms or even sending in letters. And just kind of those words of support during a time like this that it is it's sad and it's a bummer. And you know, there are keepers whose livelihoods right now are kind of a little bit in the limbo zone. And I think hearing from people that they're still thinking about them and they still support the work that they're doing, it really does mean a lot to know that the community is still behind them and supporting, you know, their facility and their, their animals. Really. We have a lot of questions about
0: elephants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Edel, and I'm four and a half Now I live in Albuquerque and um, I want to know how elephants grow and what do
1: they eat?
0: Hi,
5: this is Evelyn from Louisiana. She is four years old and she has a question for the zookeepers. How are you there? the elephant. Too. So good questions. The simple answer to that is a lot. They eat a lot. <laughs> All every day. <laughs> I remember Elizabeth your kids when we used to go to the zoo when they were little. Your kids were always really interested in the elephants pooping. Yeah, always. <laughs> so we used to watch that. <laughs>
2: elephant poop. It was the highlight.
5: Who who wouldn't wait.
1: be interested in that?
2: Oh no. <laughs> Everybody poops.
5: Everybody.
2: (laughs) Everybody poops. So
5: I'll have to kind of dig in my memory banks and see if I can remember exact numbers. But each day, every one of those elephants eats close to a bale of hay. So that's around 60 to 75 pounds of hay. Um, And then on top of that, they get grain. So specifically designed grain for them. We can kind of basically think of it like elephant cereal. It has all the nutrients and vitamins in there that they need. And then they also each get a five-gallon bucket of produce cut up, and that's a variety of different fruits and vegetables. So sweet potatoes and cucumbers and apples and oranges, bananas, kind of anything that you can think of. And then that all comes out in roughly around 250 pounds of poop a day, which then plays into Elizabeth's kids' favorite part of the zoo.
1: (laughs) I think a lot of kids know that their adults are trying not to go to the grocery store as much. Is it a challenge for the zoo to make sure that you have enough groceries on hand for those elephants and all the other animals that you have to take care of?
5: as this all started kind of evolving over the last several weeks, I think zoos for the most part actually did a really good job of making sure that their supply chain was set for several months. So typically when we do food orders, a lot of times we're ordering for six to 12 months at a time. Um, So, you know, we have these prescribed diets that are set out for our animals. And so we can kind of extrapolate those numbers forward and then make a good estimate of how much food do we need to get us through a specific amount of time. You know, that was something that was being looked at, you know, weeks and weeks ago, when this all started kind of happening and evolving over in Europe and other places. And so I know that a lot of zoos were actually kind of beefing up their stockpile, um, even back then to make sure that we had the dry goods that we were able to utilize. And then, you know, thank goodness for all of our brilliant truck drivers and our supply chain within our fresh produce type of supply line, but we utilize the same human quality food that gets delivered to grocery stores. And so, you know, they're still tapping into that supply chain as well to make sure that um, all of the fresh produce and the things that we're getting in in that regard are still available and and there for animals. So certainly something to be planning and and looking ahead for. Most zoos do have someone that manages their food and their commissary, their food supply specifically. And that was something that I think they did a really good job of kind of getting out ahead of and making sure that, you know, the elephants had their groceries for the next long while
1: that must be such a fun job being the person who is in charge of doing the grocery shopping for the zoo that's another really good idea for a children's book i'm feeling very inspired by this conversation you've got lots
0: of children's book ideas today okay so wait what about peanuts is that just like a myth like do elephants really eat peanuts they can (laughs) <laughs> but that it's not necessarily like the ultimate
5: very favorite thing unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Grizzly bears like even peanuts. From? I don't know. I really? think it's probably Dis- Disney. Disney. I would say yeah, I think it's probably. a Dumbo, yeah. a Dumbo thing yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But Cheyenne Mountain actually does have a program with their elephants. They have some elephants that do public feedings with our guests. So people can come and actually buy a piece of fruit and they actually get to go up and and actually stick it into the trunk and feed the elephant. And then they take that money. A lot of that money is earmarked for elephant conservation. So it's kind of one of those ways that, you know, people can be a direct contributor to wild elephant conservation just by visiting and getting to know the elephants that live at the zoo, which is kind of fun. But for them, they actually really like their fruit. They're kind of fruit ladies. They enjoy that. As a treat, every once in a while or for training, sometimes they'll get bread, which they do like. I mean, who doesn't not like carbs? So I'd do a lot <laughs> for a bagel.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so you will see during training times every once in a while we'll get we'll get some bagels and bread in there. They won't say no to that.
1: Megan, this is going to be a hard question to answer, maybe, but what is your favorite thing about working at the zoo?
5: That is a hard question to answer. I feel extremely lucky. I think I am one of those rare people that gets to say, I literally have gotten to do my dream job for most of my adult life. I don't know if I can pick out one thing. You know, there's so many different aspects of it that I I really enjoy.
1: When you were a kid, did you want to work at the zoo?
5: You know, when I was a kid, I don't know that I necessarily said I want to be a zookeeper. But I do have pictures of me as a child that, you know, while my friends were playing with Barbies, I actually do you guys know those like old cardboard blocks that looked like a brick? Like printed like a brick. Yeah. Yeah. We had those, and instead of playing Barbies, I actually built habitats for my stuffed animals and cut out, (laughs) you know, construction paper food. (laughs) So, you know, drew up little signs for them and wrote little information plaques. So that's certainly something that I think has always been a part of really just who I am. Work for me really has never been work. It really is soul food. Like I just feel like a whole human being when I get to be uh, around animals or talking about animals. You know, and even though I've moved a little way from not necessarily being at the zoo full time, the fact that I still get to teach um, and now hopefully influence this next generation of keepers that's coming in behind us. It's a physical job and, you know, not all of us can do this forever as we all start entering our, our 40s and whatnot. But the fact that we have this whole generation of college students and kids that's coming back behind us to make sure that this really important work continues is still something that I find a huge amount of joy in. So, you know, what is my favorite part? All of it. That's such a lame <laughs> answer. But, you know, being close to those animals, having the connection with those animals and really the people I work with, they are just some of the most fantastic human beings. I just love them
2: dearly. They're like family. Oh. You know, you don't get a lot of yeah. bad guys in uh, yeah. zoo keeping. No, we're <laughs> a hoot, man.
1: <laughs> well, I hope the zoo opens up and is back to normal as soon as possible thank and that all your you. and that all your animals and all of your human people at the zoo too are healthy and happy thank
5: you i appreciate that and we appreciate all the kids listening out there and the families supporting the zoos it means it means a lot to know you know people out there have our back yep.
0: and listeners let us know who you'd like to hear from next week in our everyone is fighting now segment just drop us an email at momandad at slate.com. Okay, but this show isn't over just yet. It's time for recommendations. So, Ramon, what do you have for us?
1: I have um, a recommendation for a really wonderful book that I wrote about as a critic. It's a book called Making Comics. It's by a woman named Linda Berry, who Dan Kois knows well because he wrote a beautiful story about her years ago for the New York Times Magazine. And Linda Berry is a sort of eccentric, hard to categorize artist who makes comics. And in this book, she has all of these exercises and they are not necessarily for children. Um, They're not necessarily just for adults, they're kind of just for human beings. And these exercises have really engaged my kids the last couple of days. For example, she has one where you draw with your non-dominant hand, or you close your eyes and time yourself drawing a plate of bacon and eggs, and you do that three times over and sort of see what the results look like. Really simple, really easy to do, but somehow really charming and just really beautifully done. And I think we're all looking for non-screen things to do with our kids. I highly recommend this book, Making Comics.
2: This sounds amazing. I'm going to get this and put it in my morning basket. That's yes, exactly yeah. the kind of thing I look for for those like morning activities that we can do and you don't really need to prep for but are thoughtful. Yeah. And
1: it's the rare activity that I don't think a parent would mind doing. Like there's so many kids games and toys that I'm just like not engaged by. But it's kind of charming and fun to close your eyes and draw with your left hand. Like why not? You know, what's your recommendation this week?
2: So I am recommending a children's book called The Rabbit Listened by Corey Delfield. It's kind of the book that we all need right now. Now it's definitely a children's book. But it's one of those ones that as an adult, you read and it hits you in the heart, like it's teaching you a lesson too. in this book, out of the blue, something terrible happens to this little boy or girl actually the I can't remember the name, but it is completely like gender neutral, which I love because you can kind of assign, you know, whoever fits like when I'm reading it as the mom, I'm like, Oh, it's a little girl. And my boys think it's a little boy. But the Illustration shows like a huge block building being knocked down by a flock of birds, just like out of the blue, this terrible thing happens. And one by one, this parade of animals comes in, like the bear comes in and says, let's get really angry about this and yell about it. And the child says, that's not what I want. And then the snake comes in and says, let's go knock down somebody else's. And the chicken comes in and says, Let's talk about it. Let's just talk, talk, talk about it. So the child kind of dismisses each one until the rabbit comes in and the rabbit just sits next to the boy. And in the picture, it literally just like sidles up to him and they sit for two or three pages. It's the rabbit sitting there. And then one by one, the boy goes through each of the emotions that the other animal has. So he throws a fit and the rabbit sits there and he says, I'm going to go knock down someone else's tower and the rabbit sits there. And finally, at the end, the boy just builds a new tower. And I think that it is such a pertinent book, both for parents and children. Now it's white pages with very simple illustrations. It's fun to read. But it also is really sending this message of there's a time for all of these emotions, and they're all okay. But it's also okay to just be the person that sits and listens. So i really recommend this. You can, of course, buy it online. There are also quite a few YouTube videos of people reading it. So, you know, you don't want to buy another book or whatever. Look it up on YouTube and watch it with your kids. Even my now eight-year-old picks it out frequently. There's a time and a place for the parents to just be. So I recommend The Rabbit Listened by Corey
0: Dorfield. Very nice. Okay, so mine is For some of you, if you're willing to try this, it will be a resetting of the way that we're approaching this time that we have indoors. So, you know, I think a lot of us have given a lot of energy to, you know, either in practice or just the idea of like doing certain things in preparation for when we come back outside, right? So whether it's getting active for the first time or staying active so we don't, you know, compromise our hard work. If it's, you know, learning a new skill or saving or planning for something that happens outside. And just thinking, you know, constantly being focused on life after. What we're doing in here is preparing us for life after. I should say I've come to a point where I'm really trying to focus on treating each day as this is life, right? So this is not just, you know, life on pause or life on hold. This isn't preparation for what happens when the doors open up again and we can start having more normal social activities or going back to work and school and treasuring each day that we have despite the circumstances um, in real time, as opposed to thinking of it as some sort of, you know, practice or training ground. I don't think most of us are thinking of it as a vacation, but as many people feel they have to be in some sort of training camp and you have to start a new business, you have to start a new fitness routine, you just have to start something new or finish something. And you know, we're here and there are beautiful moments that happen each day and there are difficult moments and there are emotional ones, but, you know, we're here. And I just really don't want to lose the value of this time because it could be, you know, it could be two months, it could be six months, it could be 12 months. We don't know how long this is going to go on. And so the idea of only, you know, being focused on what happens afterward, I don't think is a very healthy or sustainable way to operate. So I'm recommending that we think beyond what happens later and truly try to make the most of what we're doing right now.
1: That's good advice. My kids often will take them out to breakfast or something on a Saturday and they'll say, what are we doing next? What are we doing next? Or we'll go to a movie and they'll be like, well, what Mm -hmm. are we doing next? What are we doing next? And I, my husband and I both get so frustrated and we're like, just enjoy what's happening in this moment because like, you know, something good will happen next, but like, just like be in this moment. And I think that's sort of what you're saying. And like, that's good advice because there's just so much we don't know, you know?
0: Absolutely. And I don't think we need to make ourselves any more miserable. It makes me think of when, you know, I give my daughter like a Barbie doll or something or an LOL doll, and the back of the box has other LOL dolls. And so it starts with the excitement of the yeah. one she has. And then it's like, oh, I want to get her, her, and her. I'm like, you just got this. The box is yeah. still here. So this is the box. Yes.
1: <laughs> No one is LOLing at the moment. Not a lot (laughs) of LOLing.
2: Quite a few surprises. Life is like a series of sometimes good things and sometimes bad things. And just saying like, I just have to be where I am. And that is all I can handle and all I can do is a really good way to learn to get through these moments. Because this might be the biggest thing that happens to us, but it certainly won't be the last thing, right? And we can hope this is the biggest thing, but it definitely won't be the last frustration. And to some people, like, there are little things in your life that feel bigger than this, even though this is massive. And especially when you're younger, you know, I think as we get older, these things feel bigger because we understand the consequences more. But I think it's a really good, like, life lesson both for parents and for children
0: to just remember that like you said we're not
2: waiting for anything this is life thank
0: you marijuana margarita pulls out a little wisdom every now and again sometimes <laughs> i have some thoughtful <laughs> awesome things to contribute so thanks guys
1: it's a good recommendation
0: thank you that is our show for the week thank you so much for joining us remind you are the cutest boy i've ever seen in my life i'm gonna go on hinge later
1: oh my gosh this is so much fun Um, no i'm gonna go on
0: hinge later and look for guys who look like you because i think i might be in love now
1: oh my gosh come on this is what zoom has done to us we're just so happy to see someone who's not in our family i don't even want to say goodbye to any of you like we're just it's like (laughs) such a relief to look at someone not in my family (laughs) like the
0: mailman smiled at me once like today he just like rang the doorbell and like ran but like last week one of them smiled at me and i felt so warm inside i was like a person sees me i
2: I feel i feel seen literally
0: are craigslist misconnections
2: still a thing i wonder if that's like going crazy like people right, I, right. Saw yeah. <laughs> I saw you from a
0: window
1: i saw you from seven were feet another away
0: human yeah yeah you handed me my uber eats you know you turned your head so you probably didn't see me but i saw you and you were very happy i felt so connected when you brought me that food seriously (laughs) i was randomly thinking about craigslist misconnections the other day like i'm convinced at some point somebody tried to find me there and i just didn't look for them and it's the greatest regret of my life because i know somebody the path not taken yeah yeah The path not taken. And I could never, like, just find myself on there because I always change my hair and stuff. So (laughs) if I, like, just got bored and was, like, (laughs) that girl with blue hair, I'm, like, that, you know... That's not me now. I don't know. All right, guys. This was lots of fun, Dan-free episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting. Doesn't happen too often. Hopefully, we didn't burn the house down. If you have a question that you'd like for us to talk about on the show, please send us an email at mom And join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate's Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Elizabeth Newcamp, Ramon Alam, I'm Jamila Lemieux.